Hey everyone, welcome to Past Lives and the Divine. I'm Gina, the host of this podcast, where we talk about all things past lives and our connection to the divine. Today I have Ashley from the Yoga Magic Podcast and Meredith from Earthling Astrology. They are joining me again and we are talking about the outer planets. And for our conversation today, that is Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. So we'll talk associations, returns, what they demand of us. So before we dive into that, I want to let you know um, there is a live event coming up in Minneapolis at a place called the Nunu, which is a really cool event space. And Ashley and I had been in conversations just before the pandemic to have an event there. So two years later, we're finally having an event there. So Ashley is holding space there. We're going to have a conversation. It's going to be Meredith, me, Ashley, and Kelly Smith from Yoga For You online in the Mindful in Minutes podcast. And so Ashley is hosting us at this beautiful space in Minneapolis, and we're going to just talk about self-care, self-tending, moving through the seasons, moving into summer, and just how our respective, um, I guess, professional expertise might fuel into that. I am just like waiting for this day to come because it has been so long since I've been in front of a group and uh, I really, really miss it. I love Zoom. I love being able to connect with people all over the world. It's actually like the best thing for my business uh, and something that as an introvert, I really, really appreciate. But man, am I looking forward to this. So if that interests you and if you are local or if you're just wild enough to drive or fly to Minneapolis for that event, check the link in the show notes and then you will be able to purchase your ticket or tickets and you'll be able to just learn a little bit more about it. And of course, if you have questions, you can always hit me up. Okay, gather around the fire for our conversation about the outer planets and what they mean to us in our lives with Ashley and Meredith. Hi, hi. Oh my God, you're in your car. Look at you. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Where are you? Um, I'm just outside of Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, so we're headed to, we were in the Badlands uh, yesterday, and we're headed to Golden, Colorado. We're just going to kind of, uh, you know, uh, just kind of skink around there. Um, love that area. Yeah, I'm... And then I have work to do tomorrow, so I'll probably, I'm just like camped out at this super nice like little park. Uh, I don't know, you can't really see it, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, Anyway, it's got like dog trails and a dog park. And so there's just such, it's so fun. I just, I love it. Uh, Meredith, I have a question. So how mm-hmm. people talk about Pluto return and um, so if they can do the Pluto return for the United States, I'm assuming that means the United States has a sun, a moon and a rising sign. So there's an accepted like United States chart that everybody works with July 4th, 1776. Um, The sun sign for the U S is a cancer. Of course, July 4th, the moon sign is Aquarius, which is very interesting to me. And then the rising sign for the U S is Sag. Wow. Yeah. And then, um, this chart at like 5, 10 PM in Philadelphia is the one that astrologers use. Uh, and I keep seeing all these like, uh, 
the collapse of the U.S. articles and financial systems. And I'm like, oh, well, let's see what happens. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting. It's, it's now through um, 2025. So the next three years is the official U.S. Pluto return. It's not an overnight thing. So how long does it take Pluto? Yeah. So the first years. Yeah, it's a 250 year cycle. And the first exact hit in the chart was February 22nd, 2022. And now Pluto a couple of days ago went retrograde. So Pluto is going to go backwards and then forwards and then backwards a couple of times in the next three years over this point in the chart, if that makes sense. For Pluto to be kind of like hovering over it back and forth, is that normal? Yeah. Or is that pretty rare? No, it's pretty normal. I mean, Pluto's retrograde like six months out of the year. Um, so to go back and forth oh, over one shit. point is, is common. Okay. The Pluto retrograde, if Pluto is retrograde, like six months out of the year, um, well, I guess we're going to talk about it today, but even just, I'm curious, I feel like a lot of people are not talking about the Pluto retrograde and I'm assuming it's because of Mercury retrograde and the eclipses and, you know, is there like a hierarchy there, I guess, is my question. Yeah. Like the outer planets retrograde, I honestly don't work with them that much because they're retrograde five to six months out of every year. Mercury is retrograde three or four times a year for three weeks at a time. And the hierarchy would be for me is Mars and Venus retrograde, which is super rare. They only go retrograde about once every two years. So for a short time, and that's a bigger deal than an outer planet, uh, okay. you know, half the time, like half the people you meet are going to be born with a lot of the outer planets retrograde. There she is. Uh, okay. Got it. Sorry, Hi. babes. How you doing? Super mom. Mercury retrograde <laughs> hit me up already. Yeah. Mercury retrograde is hitting this oh, house too. It's crazy. Got so it. I should say, Gina, I don't work with the outer planets a whole lot as it applies to everyday life, just because they, and I can speak to this, they just don't necessarily yeah. translate as much to like day to day. Um, so yeah, but I'll, I'll, Ooh, I mean, I, I, I am do use them in other very ways. interested in that. Yeah. Even just like, I mean, I'm always interested in like something that people don't do or, you know, like, oh, a common misconception might be because I, as a, I mean, I guess I know a little bit more than a lay person at this point, (laughs) but I do, I'm like, oh, really? Like, I have no idea. So I'm just excited to learn about like, even just the different category of inner outer planet and what that actually means. Cause I'm not even thinking of that, like as a, I almost forget, well, shit, this stuff is in the sky. (laughs) 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 Okay, everyone, I am here with Ashley and Meredith, and we are talking all about the outer planet. Uh, Let's start with our short intros. Meredith and Ashley have been here many, many times before, but if this is your first time, Meredith, what do you want them to know about you? Uh, Meredith McCown with Earthling Astrology. You can find me and what I do at earthlingastrology.com. I've been on the show a lot. So probably most of you listening have uh, heard me before, but if you haven't check out earthlingastrology.com and you'll find all about me there. Highly recommend Ashley hit it. I'm Ashley Sonnegard. I am a self-care coach and astrologer, and I get to hang out with these two amazing ladies coming up in a few weeks. If you are local to the Twin Cities, we're doing a live podcast event um, at the new new, and I'm going to interview them on all things past lives, cosmic self-care. That's my favorite topic in the whole wide world is how to combine sort of the spirituality with the day to day and make your life better. Let's do it. 
We're going to talk about the outer planets today. So we already did an episode on the sun, the moon, Mercury, Mars, and Venus. And those are more of the personal planets in your birth chart because they travel very fast. So those placements in your chart are pretty unique to you. Once we get to Jupiter, which we're going to start with today, that turns into more of like a generational thing. Uh, Jupiter and beyond the planets travel much slower through the sky, which means they travel much slower through your birth chart. And anyone born around the same time as you within a few weeks to months, depending on you know how far the planets are in the sky, will have similar placements uh, to you uh, that you do in your birth chart. So we'll start with Jupiter. He is the biggest guy in the sky. He expands whatever he touches in the birth chart and Jupiter wants everybody to be happy. He is the king of the gods. He sends you good luck. He sends you abundance. He's also associated with wisdom and faith and your belief system. Like, what do you believe and why do you believe it? That is more of a Jupiter kind of vibration in the birth chart. He rules the sign of Sagittarius. He used to rule Pisces before Neptune was discovered. It's a little fun fact. And Jupiter is the yes planet. This is the planet that throws you good luck or something amazing without you even having to work super hard for it. I call Jupiter one of the course correctors of the Zodiac. If you're a little bit off track, Jupiter usually throws you something to get you back on. And I will say all Jupiter hits don't always happen with that abundant lucky energy. Sometimes you don't feel super lucky when Jupiter triggers your chart, but upon hindsight, you're like, Oh, that's what was going on in the background. That's what Jupiter was trying to do for me. Once you kind of reflect back on things. Uh, I've talked about me working with a psychic medium, uh, Natalie Fowler regularly. And before I met Natalie, I spent five months being pissed off, which is kind of a, a long story, but I should have been a good astrologer and looking at my chart and Jupiter was actually course correcting me, trying to get me and Natalie aligned. But again, it, when things kind of happened to me, I was like, why is this stuff happening to me? It made sense after the fact. And Jupiter is on a 12 year cycle. So if you have things happen in 12s, or if you notice you had a relationship or a job last 12 years, that is a Jupiter hit in the birth chart. Again, he is the yes planet. He wants everyone to be happy. Um, the downside of Jupiter with the wisdom and the belief system piece of him, it's like people with a prominent Jupiter don't like to be wrong. You know, they think they're right about everything and they might try and force their beliefs on another person kind of thing. So that's where Jupiter can go wrong. And again, I shared a story where like, it didn't feel super comfortable when I had a Jupiter hit, but then upon reflection, I was like, Oh, that was actually amazing how everything kind of lined up for me, uh, at the end of the story. Any questions about that, Gina, does that make sense? Are you learn a little bit about our friend Jupiter here? <laughs> yeah. And I would say that that is my experience with Jupiter for sure. Because you two are always talking about just like, yeah, the benefic, like Santa Claus, fairy godmother. Yeah. And I never get that. Like, I always feel like, isn't this supposed to be wonderful? I feel like, I feel like my skin's being scratched off. But in hindsight, I always see like, a, I'm so glad that happened because now this. Right. Exactly. You know, Jupiter, we're in like a really great time to talk about Jupiter because Jupiter shifting signs tomorrow. I know this will air not long after that. Um, Jupiter has been in Pisces, which Meredith had talked about is really about, uh, you know, is that traditional relationship there and into Aries, which is very action oriented, like let's go out and do the things and 
tackle your dreams and put your, you know, your abundance into play. So I've been thinking a ton about Jupiter lately. (laughs) And you said it, Meredith, like we don't, Jupiter is, is definitely more like the word more comes up so much, but more isn't always good in like the forefront. And I think about even what played out in the last year, really right as Jupiter shifted into Pisces as we did, we got more COVID. We got a whole bunch of it around the holidays, but you know what? It kind of, it helped us ultimately it like weekend and everybody got it. And now we're like in a much better position. Like to me, that was the most Jupiterian thing that could have happened. Um, the way I use Jupiter yeah. with clients and with um, even just in my own chart is to look at those natural gifts that we have, those natural ease, abundant spaces, whether that, you know, that be looking to see, okay, what sign is Jupiter in? Like what kind of costume is Jupiter wearing for you? If it's wearing that, so let's say Aries, you know, that luck and abundance in this bold, confident costume, when a person with Jupiter and Aries shows up, they're willing to go out and, and be seen and be the first. They're willing to try something different and new and first And um, also to see what house it's in, what part of your life is this playing out, right? Where is your luck in abundance? If it's in your seventh house, it might be related to your partner. Really, you know, again, thinking about like these ease, natural gifts, things that just come as a blessing to us. That's how I, I love to use Jupiter. Like, okay, you don't have to worry a whole lot about your, (laughs) your, your relationships. You've got Jupiter here you're going to rock at this. So it's kind of this, like, I don't know. It's just a little, it's a little treat. It's the treat in the chart. That's how I think of it. I like the treat. Yeah. And the (laughs) sign where your Jupiter lies, you can easily tap in to the positive expression of that sign. And it's most likely not your sun sign. So Gina and I, for example, have Jupiter and Virgo and Ashley being about six years younger than us has the Jupiter in the opposite sign, which is Pisces. I just realized that you guys. Um, so Ashley's Jupiter in the opposite sign of me and Gina actually balances out the three of us, I think with that opposition. Um, and yeah, again, if it's not the same as your sun sign, Jupiter will expand the traits of the sign where it sits in your birth chart for you. And again, probably not your sun sign, but of course it could be. Shit. Okay. So (laughs) I, I like how you said the positive expression of that sign. What are the positive expressions of Virgo? Virgo is the sign of health. So simply it's like, you can tap into, you know, health and wellness and Virgo likes, you know, cleaner foods and to move and to, you know, homeopathic kind of things. So health, and then like the organization of Virgo, you could tap into that too. You got to be careful with your Jupiter appointment though, because your organization kind of nitpicky stuff can blow up, um, a little bit too much to the extreme because you got that Jupiter at the 29th degree in Virgo, Gina, which is, you can't get more Virgo than that. Um, so yeah, if you wanted to work with your Jupiter, Gina, that's health. Um, you've got really good luck and abundance in physical health. If you put your mind to it. That's interesting. I've never tied Virgo and health together. I'm so glad I asked. Yeah. (laughs) And daily routines too, Gina, like the, the routine, like the well health and wellness routine of it all that for sure is, I think of as Virgo in that healthy expression. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Oh, wow. Okay, cool. I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. Yeah. Jupiter is the yes planet. And then right after Jupiter is Saturn who says no. Saturn is the Grim Reaper, uh, the curmudgeon of the Zodiac. Saturn rules Capricorn, <laughs> formerly Aquarius. And well, Jupiter will just throw you things like high five. You did amazing. Here's a $10,000 bonus or another job, whatever. Saturn makes you roll up the sleeves and go to work. Saturn makes you work for the reward where Jupiter really doesn't. Saturn is about boundaries, structure, discipline, hard work, like I said, and he is nicknamed the Lord of Karma. Um, so I work with Saturn in the birth chart, wherever he sits in your birth chart, house sign, who he's talking to, this is your karmic lesson. This is possibly the lesson you've been accumulating and repeating for lifetimes. And Saturn will make you do the work to learn your lessons. And depending on the lesson, we don't always like uh, Saturn in our chart. He will slam doors. He will make you feel like you're banging your head against the wall. But again, in hindsight, when we work hard for something and we accomplish something, which Saturn wants us to do, how feel good is that at the end of the story? Uh, Saturn is on a 28, 29 year cycle. So the late twenties for everyone listening is an important Saturnian time in your life. If you've been doing, um, if you've been pretty authentic and aligned up, uh, 28, 29 shouldn't have been too difficult for you. If you are doing more of a, I'm not going to work, I'm going to kind of do shortcuts in life. I'm not going to apply myself. Then Saturn usually throws you a challenge in your late twenties. So if you haven't had what's called your Saturn return yet, uh, pay attention, uh, see how you're feeling. Have you, you know, Got, got the career that you want? Are you, you know, working hard in your life? Uh, if you are, then Saturn return is not going to be that bad. And people come to me with the Saturn return kind of questions, really freaked out about it. And I always tell them like, it's fine. <laughs> Everything's going to be okay. There's nothing to freak out about Saturn. He just might throw you some challenges that you signed up for to overcome. And at the end of the day, you're going to feel real good if you learn Saturn's lessons and rise up to the challenge. Ashley, what do you got for self-care for Saturn? Because you need more of it. You need more of it. I know. For Saturn. I know. Wait, here, I have one more question though, about yeah. like the Saturn return. What about the Saturn return for us lucky people who live to have like one or even two or three Saturn returns? Is that yes. a thing? Yes. Yeah. There's the second Saturn return. I have a lot of, that's going to happen in your mid to late fifties. And I, uh, the third one, 28, 29 years after that. So eighties. Um, yes, you can have up to two or three Saturn returns in your lifetime. And you also have Saturn experiences if you divide 28 by four. So age seven, 14 and 21 are also Saturnian years. Seven age is the thought is when our ego kind of snaps into place and our physical body, the pineal gland in the brain starts to calcify around age seven. And that calcification, uh, is a Saturnian thing. And then 14, what's that, you know, puberty 21, you know, college these days, 28, 29 married kids. That's kind of like the Saturnian thing. The second Saturn return is about retirement. Usually the grandkids come, uh, different kind of stepping stones in life. Um, Gina, did I even answer your question? I can't, I'm, I think I did. I hope I, I hope I did. Yeah. No, okay. it was because I was like, there's got to be more, right? But I also, too, something I want to say, because I actually work with, I feel like I work with a lot of people who are like late 20s and mm -hmm. late 50s. 
And so I feel like I see people a lot in this transition. But what I think is so cool is like transition, whether it's uncomfortable or not, or someone likes it or not. I feel like if we can get a greater understanding and rootedness in in a difficult situation, uh, I think that that to me is just another benefit of astrology of being able to be like, okay, yes, this is what that mess feels like. How can I work with it? How can I work with this energy? Because sometimes it is just like time, like you have to wait for something, an idea to come in or whatever, or for whatever you need in place. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Saturn is also the timekeeper the zodiac. I mean, a lot of Capricorns, you know, they're very punctual. (laughs) They will, uh, you know, be on time and Gina, that's fascinating. So what I'm hearing from you is like a lot of your maybe client base is at late twenties or mid to late fifties. Is that true? Because that's crazy. I bet people that would be a great time to do a past life regression because Gina, I assume in your work, the repeating patterns from lifetime show up. And that Saturn, what have you been skipping or where did you not do the work? What lessons did you not learn? That's going to show up totally at the Saturn return first or second. Yeah. Yeah. And what's so, oh my God, that is, I'm going to be thinking about that. I've never thought of like Saturn and time and that sort of, that's really cool. That's very cool. Ashley, what can we know? How can we take care of ourselves with this? Oh my piece? gosh. This well, person, and to be clear, if Saturn was a person in the room, I would be avoiding him. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I think we, yeah, we might, but here I'll, I'll put my optimistic spin on it as I try to most of the time, because it's always a, like a good lesson somewhere in there. When I think about the three Saturn returns, I've heard people you know, relate it to the stages of life as like the maiden, the mother, the crone. I think there's like definitely the experiences of like our, you know, our stages of life that are, are wrapped up with, with the Saturn return specifically. And like those aside self-care around Saturn returns is just like get really rooted in who you are authentically, like do the shadow work, do the past life regressions, look at your chart, understand who you are so that And you know what, that changes, right? As you're moving through each of these stages, but so that you're authentically attached to the other side of that Saturn return, like, you know, who you want to be when you transform. When I look at Saturn, I definitely (laughs) look at it in a lot of different ways. Um, Just like, like Mars, as you know, a good place to look at triggers. Saturn is a good place to look at some pain points to look at, I think of it as like restriction where, you know, where's the structure, where's the, the restriction in your life? What's your relationship with boundaries and how can you move into the positive expression of that particular relationship? So knowing, understanding the sign that Saturn is in the flavor that Saturn has for you so that you can formulate that healthy relationship with boundaries, with structure. And you know, what's really cool. And I've, I've just recently, this has come into my thought process is that, with structure, with restriction, we are so creative. We're able to move with so much fluidity and freedom when we have some boundaries, right? When we have that structure. So knowing and understanding what your Saturn is, what it looks like, allows you to, to build a little bit of a box around you so that you can make a lot of beauty within that box. And then eventually expand out of it and move into a different box, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know if that's like necessarily self-care, but really understanding relationship to boundaries as it relates to your your Saturn is, is a great place to start in this self-study process. 
Oh yeah. Whoa. I would say healthy boundary setting would be probably top 10 of self-care. And that would be looking at Saturn. Do you have an easy time with boundaries or not <laughs> so much? How do you know? Like what, what would um, make Saturn in a So if you have like, what? say you have Saturn in Sagittarius, probably not like the best at like having a super structured life, having a ton of boundaries set on you. Like you were, you're going to want to have a lot of freedom and knowing that just knowing that like for you, there are, you know, a balance of going out and experiencing life and traveling and seeing the world is going to be really, it's going to help you so that the other boundaries that show up in your life are, you can appear and you can uphold those. Whereas say, if you have like Saturn and Capricorn, you're probably like, yeah, give me, give me the structure, please. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Saturn and the signs are interesting. And I I'll share a personal anecdote. So my husband has Saturn conjunct his South node, which is the past life symbol of the chart. And Saturn is authority and kind of boundary setting. So my husband, I know this now has been following orders and authority for lifetimes. And this is the lifetime where he is not doing that at all. He is a genius. Or I don't know. Genius is the right word, but he's amazing at boundary setting. He can say no in a flash. He has no problem with that word. And he rejects authority like crazy. Um, so that's an example of Saturn playing out in past life karma. Um, you know, in my, my spouse's chart, he will not follow anyone's rules. He will instantly reject anything he's told to do, no matter what it is. And that's coming from past life karma with Saturn. He is not wired to follow rules anymore. He's been doing that almost too much maybe, or he hadn't learned his lessons from following that authority. And he's here in this lifetime to become his own authority. I forgot about the authority keyword for, uh, Saturn Ooh. as well. And then my Saturn return was fine. I mean, I'm a Capricorn. I think I bought my first house. I got a job promotion besides a little extra anxiety in my late twenties. It wasn't that bad for me. However, my husband, we were dating at the time he got arrested during his Saturn return because he was not doing the work. However, oh. after that incident, he did the work. He rolled up his sleeves. He owned what happened and he actually did the work. And now he's a better person for it. So that's an example of kind of a more neutral Saturn return mine. And then my husband's who needed to get his butt kicked a little bit. Yeah. And I think too, sometimes we are in, I don't know, different people in different phases of our life where we just like need different motivation. Like maybe yeah. that was the only way he would have done it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And not that it wasn't painful for everybody and doesn't, sometimes those things have lasting effects, but, uh, I, I can see that too, how even like when things are quote bad in the chart, how it's like, well, but we kind of have our own, I guess, ingredients that make it work for us if we want. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Something that's okay. Something that, uh, Ashley, you said about boundaries and how we can be more free within boundaries. And I right away was like, disagree. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then immediately it was like, no, I completely agree. I see this because it's something that just as I'm kind of reevaluating my life and relationships and my relationship to different things in my life, it's really important to me that people have boundaries. And because I'm someone who doesn't do well asking for help. So if I ask for help, I want someone, I want to ask for, for help from someone who I know will say, I can't do this for you right now. Or like, yes, I can, but it'll have to be, you know, whatever. Or then if they say yes, I know it's a true yes, because there's someone who would say no, if it was a no, instead of kind of tiptoeing around and wondering about those things. 
Um, so yeah, I see that for sure. And just how, when we say no and put up a boundary, we're leading for other people. It sucks. It's hard. Um, but if we have even like an inkling to do it, or even a slightest bit of motivation, people around us learn from that. Um, and for so much of my thirties, I feel like I was like, oh yeah, I got to put up boundaries. Oh yeah. Boundaries. Oh, boundaries are important. And so I look back and it's like, yeah, bitch. So do it. (laughs) I'm actually actually like embodying it. Like I have a problem with this, which means I'm not going to put up with it anymore. So I'm sorry. But I just, to me, I see that so much, just like not in the parameters we think or the parameters that I think of, you know, like whatever parameters people try to, society tries to put on me, but even just these ideas of like, I want my people around me to have like their own parameters of like what they need, what's nourishing, what's not, what they can do right now. Uh, and it, I think that's so important, especially we've all been trained not to ask for help from, for the most part or to feel bad about it. So to have that in mind and just like, yeah, how can we use Saturn to put up more boundaries just to even be a good leader for other people to make our life better? Yeah. Oh, that really linked it for me. I I'm was starting to warm talking- up to Saturn. Sort of, yeah. Saturn's like not a, quite a treat, but <laughs> but it's still pretty a good friend. I was just talking before we started recording this to another guest on Yoga Magic, and she was talking about like hustle culture. She called it hustle porn. I was like, yes, that is like we live in a hustle porn world where we are told that we essentially have infinite time that we have all the time in the world to accomplish, you know, that we have all these dreams and we can do it all. And we can, you know, all the things, and that's not true at all. That is not true. We can't do everything. And ultimately those boundaries and that restriction enter Saturn and, you know, it's flavor for you is it gives us a little bit more, not a little bit, a lot more permission to pick and choose the things that we want to do. So I think this is where, you know, that like, again, that self-study piece comes in, like it's going to give you a lot of freedom. It's not always fun (laughs) to understand what you need in terms of boundaries, but especially if you're evaluating, like, what can I do in my life? This is a great place to look. Yeah. 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 And yeah, one last thing with like, the symbolism of the boundaries with Saturn. So Saturn today and historically is the last planet we can see with the naked eye. So this was the end of the line for ancient astronomers or astrologers too was, was Saturn. Uh, maybe ancient cultures had the outer planets. They might, they might have, but not, we don't know that. Um, so Saturn being the edge of the universe, um, boundaries, that was it. That's where the universe ended historically was Saturn. So boom, hit the wall. That's it. Uh, so another kind of like fun fact about Saturn, Saturn's uh, symbolism and astrology being the last planet we can see with our physical eyes. Yeah, I always forget that. I think that's so cool when I hear you say that. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I've heard rumors. People have seen Uranus. I don't quite believe it. <laughs> I'm sure you can. People said they've seen Uranus in the desert. Um, I would like to see that for myself. But there are people that say they've seen Uranus with the naked eye. So Perhaps we can see Uranus, but Saturn for sure. He's an easy one to spot. We've all seen Saturn and Jupiter in the sky. They're, they're pretty bright. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What's next? Uh, Uranus is next. Yes. <laughs> Uranus, 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 <laughs> like this guy has so many different names. Um, okay. So this is, this is, I love these planets that we can't see. This is where my work really takes off. Um, 
Uranus is the awakener. He's associated with the sign of Aquarius and he's kind of like Prometheus type energy. If you're familiar with the, the mythology of Prometheus bringing lightning to the humans, uh, the gods gave us this gift. Again, Uranus being that awakening energy. When we are being awoken, whether it's in the morning or going through a spiritual awakening, it is uncomfortable. This planet makes us uncomfortable, kind of like Saturn, but in a different way. And what does discomfort do? It almost forces us to grow and evolve and to change. Uranus is definitely the game changer of the Zodiac. He is the weirdo. And I say that with love because, you know, the three of us are pretty weird and Uranus in the sky is tipped on his side. His North pole is always facing the sun. So he follows the rules of physics and the solar system, but he kind of doesn't, he does his own thing. Since he's associated <laughs> with Aquarius, he is the planet that says, do not tell me what to do. He is the rebel of the Zodiac and he's on an 84 year cycle. So he takes 84 ish years to go around the sun. He'll take that long to go around your birth chart. I have only done one or two readings for individuals who have uh, gone through their Uranus return. And that doesn't happen oh. until your mid eighties. Um, one thing about Uranus, which he will demand from you is authenticity following the crowd or doing what the Joneses are doing is not always authentic. This is another planet that is a course corrector. Actually, I'd say all the outer planets are course correctors. Um, but Uranus's course correction is usually pretty sudden. Uh, he's associated with like epiphanies. He's I've seen a lot of divorces with a Uranus transit, kind of like that break free. Don't tell me what to do. I'm not really being my authentic self, whether that's in a job or a relationship or what it looks like. He will, you know, almost course correct you overnight where a Saturn and Jupiter course correction might be a little bit more of a slow kind of burn kind of thing. I love this planet. Again, I love the sign he rules Aquarius. He's associated with also aliens and astrology and just weird ass stuff. So I love Uranus. When I see a prominent Uranus in someone's uh, chart, I get pretty excited. So when you say prominent or like you had said, I don't know if it was like a lot of Jupiter or pro what makes something like what makes a planet prominent in someone's chart? The way I work, if Uranus was next to the sun at your birth or the moon or on an angle in your birth chart, which is a four kind of four points of the birth chart. If he's Ooh. at high noon, midnight, if he was rising or setting at your birth, that's important. If he was aligned with the sun or moon, also what I would call prominent in the birth chart. So even if you're a sun sign, um, let's see, Scorpio and Uranus was in Scorpio, for example, um, for me and Gina at birth we would be a little bit Aquarian or a little bit rebellious, even though the sun sign is Scorpio, but Uranus might be right next to it, giving it a, a Aquarian flair, if that makes sense. Oh God. I just love how like layered it is. Totally. Hmm. <laughs> totally. And I don't actually, I mean, this for self-care would just be being authentic and kind of working on detaching from, you know, what people say about you when you are your authentic self, because not everybody likes it when you do your own thing or you say no, or you don't follow the crowd that makes people uncomfortable. So you're in a self-care for me would be like, okay, just detach. Are you acting 
with malicious intent, no, then keep going, you know, let it go. What other people might say about you. And mm-hmm. yeah, actually, I want to see if you have anything for self-care for this guy. <laughs> I honestly, I was like, <laughs> it's kind of like racking my brain. I'm like, I do yeah. not need to You know, though, what I do, so the, in the next three planets, understanding who is in your soul group, like what generation you were born into and these placements as they relate to the other people that are around your age, or in this case, like this is a large swath of ages, but you know, what does that, what is the like big uncomfortable shift that this 84 period, 84 years period is working through understanding how like Aquarius, how, how are you different from everyone else? Um, I think just, just even thinking about what is that Aquarian idea, how can we solve the problems of the world in a way that is not super straightforward Aquarians, Aquarius just wants to do a nonlinear way to make it there. And so, um, I don't know what's on specific self-care practices, but I love, like you said, I have like, I really like your, it's a, it's awkward. It's awkward. And I like that. <laughs> So I have a question about the name Uranus or Uranus or whatever. It's like, is it, is it the fact that it has anus in it? Is that why everyone has a different name for it? I don't know. And actually there is, um, I'm a little bit far away from this. I don't remember much about it, but there's a lot of debate in the astrology community or there used to be that Uranus was not correctly named. Like his symbolism doesn't actually match the God of, of, I think is Aranos is how you say the original mythology of it. So people argue about whether he was named correctly. And I'm like, well, that's such a Uranus weirdo thing. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody can decide on his name. Um, and again, I put him more towards Prometheus kind of energy, which is different than the actual God. I can't say it right. Is it Aranos? Something like that. And again, this is not my expertise, but there's a, there's a lot of uh, disagreement about why he was named that and how he shows up with just the name. So Gina, that's such a synchronicity that you brought that up. I was going to dive more into that. <laughs> yeah. And you know, my joke, like you either hear urine or anus when you hear this name. So he makes you uncomfortable. I prefer anus. Yeah. Of course you do. Uranus. Okay. Uh, anything else, Ashley, or anything else, I guess, in general on that planet? Um, I will say one thing. Um, so just like Saturn, you can divide Saturn cycle 28 years by four. You can also do the same thing with Uranus. So age 21, 42, 63, 84 are Uranus cycles. Um, and I almost think like the drinking age in the United States being 21, isn't the best idea <laughs> because as soon, you know, people go crazy on their 21st birthday. And that's like the age that Uranus energy, that rebelliousness is kind of creeping <laughs> up on people. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I'll go wild. Um, and then age 42 or early forties is called the Uranus half return. Uranus is halfway through the Zodiac um, that 84 year cycle right around age 42, 43. And that is another age that people want to break free, you know, question their authenticity or make major life changes. Um, so think about people, you know, who have had kind of midlife quote unquote crises, were they doing that in their early forties? Was it more of a mid fifties thing? Then, you know, the planetary energy that prompted those changes. I would say that's where I'm at right now. And I'm rounding the corner on 42. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep, me and Gina will have. Uh, you feel us? We'll have lots of evidence or lots of uh, words to put through the half return as we go through ours in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. 
Okay, cool. What's up next? Which one is next? Neptune, my favorite. Neptune is my favorite, you guys. Okay. So Neptune is Poseidon. Uh, if you think of Ariel's dad and Little Mermaid, that's Neptune. He rules the sign of Pisces and Neptune represents universal consciousness. He is the most spiritual planet in the Zodiac. Um, he's all about, we're all connected. We're all drops in this big cosmic ocean and Neptunian energy in my practice is about psychic gifts, but not really like the earthly intuition gifts. This is like next level gifts. Like Neptune's energy can have you connecting to the angel realm, to spirit guides, to something that is not of earth. That's how I think of Neptunian's gift. This is energy that is not of earth. Um, the negative vibration of Neptune is actually kind of easy to remember. If you think of him being the highest vibration, spiritual planet, the lowest, uh, negative expression of Neptune is spirits, alcohol, escapism, numbing yourself. Um, you can also be space cadet energy. He is so associated with addiction in the chart. Um, and I would argue a lot of addicts are very, very psychic people or very, very empathic people. And perhaps they go down that path because they don't know how to work with their gifts or they just numb themselves. There's a million different reasons why people choose that. But Neptune, he's one of my favorites. He has a 165 year cycle. So at the time of this recording, I don't know if anyone lives that long right now <laughs> to experience their Neptune return, <laughs> um, but he'll take 165 years to go around your birth chart. A uh, very small, wow. slow moving planet. But again, if you have Neptune next to your sun or the moon or in an angle in your chart, you have a prominent Neptune that's unique from other people. So he's one of my favorites. I mean, I do a lot. I get a lot of psychic people uh, in my practice and that is Neptune. I actually attract Neptune's energy in my birth chart. So that's kind of probably why I get all these very gifted psychic and a lot of recovering addicts as well walk through my door. Uh, and that's huh. Neptune in a nutshell. Wow. Love him. He's my favorite. Even though he's, he's confusing, but because he's just not of earth. When his, when his energy comes, it's not linear. It's not English. Signs, symbols, synchronicities, magic. That's Neptune. Wow. Yeah, I feel like I don't know anything about Neptune. That is really cool. Ashley, how do you use this? Do you, because um, it moves so slow, like are you mm -hmm. using it on in, like an intuitive basis or how do you? It's, it's Bring helpful us into to the understand fold. like how Neptune, like what, in what aspect it is to a person's chart, you know, it, does it have a relationship with their sun or their moon? And even just speaking to Neptune and like Pisces, those very obviously similar energies of like doing some dream study and understanding what your subconscious is processing through, you know, in the dark, essentially. Um, I was speaking with someone recently about about dreams. And like you'd said it, Meredith, in terms of like symbols, the, a lot of like things that we dream about are, they don't make, they don't make any sense. They're absolutely off the charts because they're not of this earth and it doesn't make sense for, uh, or it doesn't really work for us to analyze. It doesn't really make sense for us to analyze Neptune. <laughs> you no, know, and like, no, no, no. Into it, Neptune into it. Right. Yeah. Right. And so oh. I think just, I mean, not necessarily related to their specific birth chart and that relationship in Neptune, but anyone can embody that Neptune energy and the connection to something we can't see by doing some dream work. I know you do a lot of um, dream work, Meredith, but like just starting to pay attention to what comes up, but not necessarily analyze it. Just 
let it be and then see what synchronicities, what signs from this other side, you know, come your way after you started paying attention. <laughs> yeah. I forgot to mention Neptune for me is the dream world as well. He's, you know, non-physical reality. So whatever non-physical reality means to you, that could be the dream world connecting to spirit guides, psychic gifts. Um, it's just not physical energy and yes, does not come in. Uh, you cannot put Neptune's symbolism or messages on a spreadsheet <laughs> will not happen. Um, not going to be able to figure him out by that. Like this is meditation. This is deep inner work to figure out what Neptune's messages are for you. The other thing I should say, as far as like Neptune and, and again, Pisces energy goes is like, it's really helpful with self-care practices to understand whether or not you are escaping. You know, you said that negative vibration too is, is that this is too much spirits. I want to pull out of this. I want to escape. And so I know we've talked about this in other episodes, but practices, everyday practices that feel really good and fill up your cup. Yes. All about that. And then at some point, sometimes they can become an escape, right? You know, an amazing relaxing glass of wine at the end of the day can be awesome, can be so perfect. And for me, it's not, that's a, that's an escape tactic. I can't, I, I can't go to alcohol to um, feel good. It makes me, it's, it's a hiding thing. So like having a really deep understanding of your practices and whether or not they are filling up your cup or if they're an escape tool is another Neptunian self-study practice. Good uh, Capricorn Ooh, yeah. control, Ashley, because you have definitely a prominent Neptune in your <laughs> yeah, chart, <I> for sure. <laughs> um, so you'd have to keep an, a tabs on that escapism tendency. However, Neptune and Capricorn for you, I think really helps you out there. It grounds so much energy. Capricorn in my chart. Yours I know too. you can't escape it. <laughs> can't escape it. And I'll just say something about the house placement of, placement of Neptune, because that, you know, Neptune is a generational planet, but the house placement is not that's personal to you. And I'll just throw another husband story out. Um, my husband who is a recovering addict, he's got Neptune in his first house in the birth chart, which is the part of the chart that represents self. So I think of my husband first, he's super psychic. He's a super empathic and he's just like a sponge. He's like a receiver. He's been picking up vibes his whole life. Uh, and he started using very, very young. Um, you know, now he's had a spiritual awakening. He's doing much better. I, on the flip side have Neptune in the seventh house, which is partnership and marriage. I have a history of dating addicts, different kinds of addicts. I attract that kind of energy and Neptune is a little bit, this is kind of a negative vibe of Neptune is kind of a Disney. I call it Disney princess goggles where you're not seeing things clearly through Neptune. He's also deception. Um, oh. you know, it's like, you cannot, you got these goggles on, you're like, Oh, everything's fine and dandy. And then Nope. Saturn comes by and like things get real. So you can be almost delusional. You can be deceived with Neptune's energy because it's so hard to anchor into the earth. So again, one of my favorite planets, I think he's fascinating, especially where he falls in your birth chart in the, in the houses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. So Neptune in the seventh house, anybody have that? <laughs> Make sure, you know, you have people in your life or double check. You're not looking at things through kind of that Disney princess vibe. Um, and that's okay to do that, of course. But again, you might not be able to see things clearly like that Poseidon energy. It's like you're looking through water um, and not seeing Ooh. things exactly clearly. Yeah. So yeah, I, he's one I of my favorites. I feel, yeah, I feel very intrigued by Neptune. Like more, I guess it's almost like, I feel like I didn't know anything. And now I'm like, ooh, yeah, this is something I got to get no more of. 
Yeah, cool. Neptune, um, Gina would have, I think, something to do with how easily your clients are hypnotized. Um, kind of like floating off into the sea, you know, <laughs> that's Neptune energy. Um, so depending Ooh. on where their Neptune is, because I'm sure you work with people that like pass out immediately, <laughs> kind of flow right in. And then you have to, you know, like for me, I have a really hard time being hypnotized. You have to really chisel away at me. So the Neptune placement could affect how easily you are hypnotized. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are, what are things that you would look at in your chart? It would just be essentially like the aspects of other planets and the house. I would guess, um, the earth signs, Gina, like myself, Capricorn, I have a really hard time being hypnotized and, you know, like Capricorn wants control. The water signs tend to be hypnotized a little bit more easily kind of flow flow state. Um, and I'm on the fence of, see, this is why I want to work with you (laughs) somehow and like do my case study of the eight, like the earth, air, fire, water, who's hypnotized. Like, I want to be able to pull that from the chart. Cause you know, Gina, has there anyone, have you ever worked with anyone where you just could not get there with someone? No, really? Okay. Here's what I believe though. I, I don't believe that it's hard to hypnotize people. I don't even think I'm hypnotizing people. I'm creating an environment for people to sink in. So if you're the type of person to go into a pool super slow, hey, I'm here for you. If you're the type of person who's going to cannonball in and believe every weird thing that comes to mind, I'm here for you. But either way, we have so much time that it's like for my sessions, like we have two hours. So it's like, oh, we're going somewhere, even if it is just the black. (laughs) yeah we're going somewhere so I I do have a different I would be curious to know that like um I would too um like a cross section of what that is because maybe I feel that way because I've had a certain um, certain kind of person come in through the door you know what I mean maybe I mean Gina I refer I refer people to you all the time and then I once in a while they're like nope I can't be hypnotized nope I can't be hypnotized just hard no so, and I believe funny. that, <laughs> yeah, I believe but that they you believe it. You can't, and that would be a Jupiter can't. thing. If you believe yeah. it, Jupiter, then you can't. So you have to stretch your mind and suspend your disbelief, you know, for that session. If you can, if you're able. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Do we have time for Pluto? I'm good. If you guys yeah. are, I've got. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ooh, Pluto. <laughs> end, of the, end of the line. Okay. <laughs> so Pluto uh, rules Scorpio. Now he is the last, well, he's still a planet in astrology. I have to put out put that out there. I think he got demoted um, since I was in astronomy class. He is the Lord of the underworld. He is the shadow. He symbolizes death and rebirth transformation and our soul's evolution. Um, Pluto is also not super comfortable energy. He is associated also with power. So you have to look at Pluto in your chart to see if you are prone to, you know, disempowering yourself or other people disempowering you got to make sure you got to use that empowerment of Pluto. I mean, the best symbol for Pluto at the end of the day would be that Phoenix kind of being reborn from the ashes and into something more beautiful, something more unique and authentic. Um, Pluto is again, not comfortable energy. I have tied Pluto to, um, mediumship in my practice. And I've noticed that the Pluto in Scorpio generation has a lot of just kind of random medium experiences. Uh, this would be people born from November, 1983 through May, 1984, 
And then August 84 through January 95, April 95 through November 95. So if you fall in that time frame, I am saying with about 80% confidence that you have a mediumship gift in your chart. And I would love for any other astrologers listening to this to confirm or deny my uh, work that I've been seeing in my clients. Like this would be people in their about late thirties to um, late twenties. And I have clients just sit on my couch, like, oh yeah, I talk to my grandma. I see her every day. I've seen her since I was three. And it's just kind of like a nonchalant kind of thing with people with Pluto and Scorpio. So I wanted to throw that out there. Um, but yeah, Pluto death and rebirth. So again, I've never given birth. I heard it's uncomfortable, but it's also worth it. Um, this is like kind of shedding old skin, bringing new life to the world. Things have to die, including our, you know, negative thoughts, our behaviors, our habits that do not serve us. And so we can be reborn into a better version of ourselves. What do you got, Ashley? Because mm. Pluto's a destructor. So I know. <laughs> if you are going through a Pluto transit, um, this is, you know, hibernate, extra self-care therapy during a, a Pluto transit. He He's tough. It's the, this is dark night of the soul stuff. Just wait, when you say Pluto transit, like, what does that mean in your chart? Does it just mean like it's aspecting certain planets? Yeah. So for example, um, Pluto is in Capricorn and has been since 2008 when he crashed the uh, housing market back then. <laughs> um, and I went through a Pluto transit from basically 2016 to 2019, 2020. He transited my son. So that is your identity in the birth chart. My whole identity oh, changed. God. You know, I was a corporate Capricorn climbing up the corporate food chain. And then I went bonkers and became an astrologer. That is a death and rebirth in my life. Um, I <laughs> yeah, was engaged I'm so to glad someone. I know you. <laughs> yeah, I was engaged <laughs> to someone, called it off. I killed that. And now I married the man of my dreams, right? My soulmate. So I went through a Pluto transit and my old self is gone. I cannot even easily connect to the Meredith that I used to be before really 2013. This all kind of went down for me. Um, I fluctuated between, you know, agony and ecstasy when I went through this Pluto also transited my mercury and that's mine. That's thought processes. And that's when I became obsessed with astrology is oh. when that Pluto hit mercury, my mind, everything I think about has now changed. I view everything through the lens of astrology. Never did that before Pluto hit me. Was it comfortable? Wow. No, but am I grateful that I went through that? And the person I am today? Yes. <laughs> Um, but that was a, it was a tough time, you know, letting go of the corporate paycheck, um, everything I thought I knew, uh, thought I needed was actually not true. So kind of dark night of the soul stuff, but again, I've been reborn and now I'm an astrologer, <laughs> not something I wanted to be when I grew up when I was five. So kind of funny how that works. Oh, it, it is funny. I always think too, like when we blaze a path and it's like, no one else is doing this. It's like, yeah, that's probably a good crack at what's really going to make you happy. <laughs> you know, exactly. just off the path. And then Gina, your question about transit. So we were talking about the United States Pluto return before we started recording, I believe. Yes. And the United States is about 250 years old almost. So Pluto has now returned to the point in the sky um, where it was when the United States was born. So countries can have planetary returns. The United States is now officially in its Pluto return, death and rebirth before the year 2025. 
Ooh. We'll see what that looks like. And you know what? The shadow, this is Pluto. The shadow needs to come out, you know, whether that's government, mm-hmm. healthcare, education, supply chain. I don't know what's going on. Can it come out? So we know how to fix it. You know, um, yeah. things need to be killed off. I just paid my taxes. <laughs> like, um, I don't know like how this stuff works. I don't know how government works, but it's all going to kind of crumble or what needs to crumble. So it can be built back better and serve more of the people. So again, Pluto with the shadow, yeah. death and rebirth coming for the country. Actually, it's probably, it's, it's here for sure. It's yeah. here. Womp. It's here. <laughs> like we're seeing it. Yikes. Um, I don't have any great practices <laughs> as it relates to self-care again. Sorry, I'm, I'm a little bit. <laughs> I just have some food for thought on this stuff because again, I get so I think it like, it's this interconnectedness to other people that makes this so interesting. So when we think about the signs, you know, moving from sign to sign to sign, they kind of, there's like a lesson and an evolution from one sign to the next, right? It's like the sign of the self into the sign of, I, you know, I have into Aries to Taurus, like they, they move in, in ways that like they're evolving. And what's so interesting about Pluto and looking at it again, as it ties to generations is that like, ultimately we want the next, each generation to be more evolved than we are. That's, you know, that's the goal. And that, that's what plays out. Um, So, you know, if you say you are a parent or you're just interested in generations and in general, like (laughs) kind of looking at seeing, okay, what sign is this next generation in? I'll use like Gen Z as an example. Most of Gen Z their Pluto is in Sagittarius. And like, that's so- What are I mean, the years for Gen Z? Sorry. Well, Pluto is in Sagittarius from 95 to 2008. So like, it's going to be, that isn't necessarily like super clean oh. as like you're related to Gen Z, but as a, as okay. a energy, that's mostly Gen Z. And so Pluto in Sagittarius is all about that, like open-mindedness and, and being really connected to a much larger picture of the world in terms of social views. I mean, extremely liberal social views, race, spirituality. I mean, they are, their minds are open. They're also really individual. Um, I don't know. I think it's so cool to look at Pluto as it relates to these generations. And so for me as a parent and this, you know, this practice could be something anyone out there tries as well as to see like, okay, like what is sort of like the vibe of my kids, like what's their, what are they going to be interested in many for them? It's Pluto and Capricorn. It's like, what does that look like? And how will they have evolved from where that previous generation was? What's the next layer? Um, how did they transform? I love that this wow. came up because like Gina and I have Pluto in Libra, the sign of relationships and our people our age have really killed off what the definition of a relationship is, you know, when I grew up, you know, man, woman, that was it. And Pluto and Libra generation has changed all of that. And then Ashley with your Pluto and Scorpio, um, this is the mediumship gift and your generation might change the way we view death. You know, Scorpio is a sign of death or even just how we use our emotions. I, you know, growing up in the eighties, wasn't taught to talk about emotions, but I think Ashley, just you born a little bit later, your generation is parenting differently, Mm -hmm. um, is going towards the emotions and not teaching kids to bury or suppress them. So your generation, Pluto and Scorpio is really transforming, uh, that emotional energy and possibly our relationship to death, which really sucks to this day on the planet, which needs to change. And I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. 
Man, and that is really interesting. Yeah, Ashley, I mean, if anybody <laughs> can bring down what Pluto means in everyday life, I feel like it's you. Just like <laughs> even just talking about like your kids and like what Pluto is and, you know, generationally, that's so valuable. And like, so cool. I think it's valuable in the sense of like, if there's something that we're trying to figure out, but like valuable too, for someone who doesn't have kids to be like, there is hope. <laughs> like, hey, yeah, I, I agree. You know, yeah. I mean, this place, a lot of times it's just like, oh my God. I mean, now just like the Roe versus Wade stuff. It's just a lot where I can often think of like, Jesus, but hearing kind of just that sh- generational shift in how we view things just makes it more hopeful for me. And but- and cool like what a cool thing to know about your kids and to like watch bloom in their life and I look at even like our parents and and not to like throw any of our parents under the bus but I like to think that we're a lot more involved than say our parents generation was and I'm sure they believe that they're a lot more involved than their you know there's just there's a progression and a way of thinking like that's kind of the I, like, I think of Pluto is, is really, again, this, like it's the Phoenix, you know, like that Scorpio of like, let's, let's deal with our shit. Everybody. Can we please as a group, let's deal with it and then, and thrive and, and come out of those ashes. Yeah. And I actually um, have heard this from you. I don't know if it was like on a podcast episode that I listened to, or if you said it on this, but um, just this idea, I feel like that's new in my head of like the Phoenix be, uh, being associated with Scorpio. Um, Cause I, I really identify with like a lot of like Scorpio stuff just feels natural and like home to me as a Scorpio rising, I guess that's probably why. But when I think of the scorpion, I think of more so, more so how misunderstood I feel because uh, I love boundaries and truth. And to be honest, a lot of people say they want that. They don't want that. Um, and so I feel like I come across as like, you know, a scorpion stinger sometimes. Um, but to hear like the Phoenix is like, yes, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. As opposed to the scorpion is like how I feel other people might see me. I, I just, I like that difference. And there I learned are, that from Meredith. <laughs> yeah, there are five symbols of Scorpio in between the Scorpio and the Phoenix. So it's a very complicated what? sign. Yeah, I, we might have covered this in the Scorpio pod. Like I only work with three of them, the Scorpio and the Eagle, which is the midpoint. So the Eagle of Scorpio can rise above and soar above and see things from a different perspective. And the Phoenix is the highest vibration of Scorpio possible. Um, so yeah, kind of like complete rebirth. Uh, and not everybody can even probably see or understand a Phoenix energy. Wow. Depends on your consciousness. Ah, That is so cool. Anyone listening who is just getting in or learning astrology, I would recommend if you're interested in Pluto, Jeffrey Wolf Green is the expert. Uh, He's got a couple amazing books, just I think titled Pluto. Um, So if you want to dive into Pluto's uh, symbolism in astrology, Jeffrey Wolf Green is the person you want to look up. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. I, um, it's just something like the more I feel like I want to cultivate more of like the Libra strengths in me. Um, but the Scorpio for me, I feel like it's just more natural for me to be like, Oh, look at me embodying these positive attributes of Scorpio or <laughs> I feel like with Libra, it's like, Oh, look at me limping to the finish line with my codependency. <laughs> um, actually. Yeah. Gina, I would say you embody Scorpio energy more than you embody Libra. If that makes sense for you. 
oh, I feel that 100%. Libra is not in a yeah, physical universe in your chart. That's more abstract. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? It is because at the heart of all my blunt truths or my boundaries or that sort of thing is my wish for other people to do the same. Like, uh, so yeah, it's there. It's just invisible. (laughs) There it is. That is our episode for today. Of course, thank you for being here, being open to these conversations, being open to the power of who we truly are. As always, take anything that makes you feel better and just leave the rest.